live from the Poly Market Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Young Turks, Jane Cougar, Anna Kasparin with you guys. Um, so uh, we got the news of the day, of course, and uh, guys also remember to check us out whenever there's any kind of news events. So when Ron DeSantis uh, dropped out over the weekend, I did a video about that uh, from the airport. We're gonna give you, as I promised you in that video, a lot more details here. Uh, and then uh, tonight I'm covering the California debate between uh, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff for the Senate. Seat, so that's going to be interesting. So right after that's over, come to youtube.com slash the Young Turks and check out my live video on it. All right, Anna. Well, as promised, uh, we're gonna dig a little deeper into Ron DeSantis's decision to drop out of the race. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it, but I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will remain just that, a governor. He announced that he is in fact dropping out of the Republican presidential primary. And he did so by posting the message on social media, X to be specific. So let's take a look at that post where he quotes Winston Churchill, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. The only problem is that wasn't actually a quote from Winston Churchill. A little bit of a side note here, a little bit of a tangent, Cenk. Um, yeah. It was from a Budweiser ad from 1938. Okay, so I hope it wasn't from a Bud Light ad. That would be really problematic. <laughs> and second, I don't think that's the only problem though. There's a second problem. Uh, the, the courage to continue that counts as he's ending his campaign. Right. This is like Trump's never surrender shirt where he had the mugshot of him surrendering to authorities. Also, Ron DeSantis's pack was called Never Back Down. <laughs> okay, but look, I think he did the right thing. I, I, I didn't see a path forward for Ron DeSantis in this primary. He was flailing, uh, his campaign wasn't doing so well. Nikki Haley is experiencing a surge, which is precisely the reason why Donald Trump has directed his ire toward her now. And we've got a lot to talk about in that regard later on in the show. But he did what he needed to do. Just yeah. don't you know, include your dropout message with you know courage to continue that counts, because you're not continuing, you're dropping you're, out of the race. That's the right thing to the, do. You're literally doing the exact opposite. Yeah. You're dropping out and saying, I am no longer continuing. Words have no meaning anymore, but I agree with Anna. Uh, he was gonna get humiliated in New Hampshire. So that's why he started canceling interviews and panicking, etc. You don't wanna come in at 4% or something. That's um, so, that's why he got the hell out. He's trying to preserve his chances for a later run or a cabinet position, etc. Exactly. So, um, just to give you some of the digging that Midas Touch did in order to figure out where that quote was actually from, it wasn't from Winston, Winston Churchill. It was actually from a Budweiser ad in 1938. Let's take a look at the ad that they found. So, the copy of the 1938 ad reads as follows Men with the spirit of youth pioneered our America, men with the vision and sturdy confidence. They found found contentment in the thrill of action, knowing that success was never final and failure never fatal. It was courage that counted, isn't 
opportunity in America today greater than it was in the days of our grateful forefathers. Anyway, whatever, let's get back to DeSantis. I don't know why he decided to use that quote, but nonetheless. It's it's not a bad quote, it just doesn't make any sense in this context and Churchill didn't say it, right, that's all. Exactly, so um, he did make an endorsement in his announcement video. So let's take a quick look at that and then we'll discuss the reactions to it. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear. And Trump thanked him the only way Donald Trump knows how. Okay. He just said, will I be using the name Ron DeSanctimonious? I said, that name is officially retired. Now Trump did mildly dunk on DeSantis one more time following DeSantis's announcement. Let's take a look at that. But I was disappointed when they asked him whether or not he'd run and he said, I have no comment. Because to me, when you say no comment, that means you're running. Mm -hmm. And uh, we took it, uh, I think I took it quite seriously. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter now because he uh, got out. Is there a possible of the joining of forces? Well, it's probably unlikely, but you know, I have to be honest, everything's a possibility, but I think it's highly unlikely. I have a lot of great people and I have great people that have been with me right from the beginning. Highly unlikely, I would be shocked if Donald Trump chose Ron DeSantis for a cabinet position. I could be wrong, I guess we'll wait and see what happens. But harder dunking actually came from the Miami Herald. Their editorial board obviously decided to comment on DeSantis's decision to step down from this race and they write, It's not just that he was steamrolled by Donald Trump. DeSantis never appeared to want to save the GOP. He was more interested in making it a more ravenous, angrier and intolerant party. That worked for Trump, but didn't work for the governor with all the charisma of burned toast. The newspaper also said that DeSantis could have made a play for, you know, like a more reasonable Republican, a moderate Republican. Instead, he banked on exploiting divisions in our country. As he bows out, DeSantis leaves the Republican Party exactly as he found it under Trump's dominance. And so I really do think that his supporters are going to rally behind Donald Trump because just think about how DeSantis ran his campaign. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. He really positioned himself, much like Ramaswamy, as like Trump light. And why would anyone vote for Trump light when they can just vote for Trump? So those who bought into the DeSantis message, those who rallied behind him, are, in my opinion, are likely gonna consolidate their support behind Donald Trump. Yeah, so first, a little bit of credit to Donald Trump, which doesn't happen often for me on this show. He's transactional in a way that is, and it might be the first time I've ever used this word in regards to Donald Trump, logical. Because he'll beat the crap out of anyone who opposes him. And if you're playing hardball politics, that is rational. That's what you should do. Democrats say, don't, 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 don't ever attack your opponents. That's nonsense. That's insanity. Politics is all about uplifting your message and attacking your opponents. So he is right about that. When so when he pulverized Ron DeSantis, that's logical. And then, but as soon as they get down on their hands and knees and start polishing his boots. He goes back to you're okay, you're back in, okay? So now Ron DeSanctimonious is retired as a name. You gotta say it correctly, retired. Retired, Ron DeSanctis 
so, okay, so cabinet or not, it doesn't matter. As long as Ron's a good boy going forward, he'll get pats on the head. Oh, he'll be a good boy. And so Donald Trump has done this hundreds of times with people like Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham says terrible things, he slaps him around a little bit. Lindsey Graham gets on his hands and knees and he goes, good boy, good boy. And every once in a while, he'll say something demeaning about him, just so everybody knows who's the boss, right? Yes, But so Ron DeSantis has that to look forward to. Hope your tongue is ready for how often you're gonna have to use it on Donald Trump's boots. So that's the future he has to look forward to. That sounds amazing. Now, I thought that, but I'm not a hypocrite and I and I don't wanna play Monday morning quarterback in hindsight's 2020. I thought Ron DeSantis should run. And so, Same, yes. And I thought he was going to use the strategy of Donald Trump's a loser because remember at that time, they had just gotten much worse results in the 2022 elections than they had expected, the Republicans. And it was because Donald Trump had picked a bunch of lunatics to run in races and they all lost, right? So you could have concentrated on, listen, whether you like Donald Trump or not, all he does is lead to electoral losses. He lost to Joe Biden, come on, right? Mm -hmm. But DeSantis didn't do that, which would have been the logical and smart thing to do. He flirted with that in yeah. the beginning, but but he ran off away from it right right away for two reasons. One is something that no one's talking about. I'm going to get to in a sec, but the first one was um, just that he didn't pick a lane. He he wanted to have his MAGA cake and eat it too, right? So he wanted to be able to say, "Oh, Donald Trump is the greatest guy on earth," but I'm a little younger. I'm a little this. I'm a little that. And whereas Nikki Haley picked a lane, she's like, I'm the establishment Republican, I'll do whatever the corporate donors want. Donors come to me, I'll pleasure you all day long. And and, and I mean, you know, politically, et cetera, and financially, eventually, if she wins. And so she picked a lane, and so that, that was logical. So now you got the two people in the two lanes, the populist MAGA lane and the establishment Republican lane. And, and DeSantis got caught in the middle of the road and run over. But the part no one's talking about is, how much Joe Biden helped Donald Trump defeat Ron DeSantis. Why? Because the best argument that anybody could make against Trump is he's a natural born loser. He lost to Joe Biden, which could resonate with Republicans. Like, yeah, how did he lose to Joe Biden? You know, that's unbelievable. He's lost all these races that he endorsed in, etc. But the problem is you can't make that argument when he's beating Joe Biden. And right now, he's the new poll came out today. He's beating him by five points. So Joe Biden, by being such a pathetically weak candidate, cost the other Republicans an ability to beat Trump in the primary by taking away their number one argument, which is that Trump can't win because Trump's in the middle of winning right now. Yeah, that is a good point. I think there are other factors as well. I mean, everyone was pretty much obsessed with the lack of charisma that we saw from DeSantis on the campaign trail, his social awkwardness, his performance on the debate stage where he seemed physically uncomfortable, grinding his teeth, blinking his eyes, licking his lips. It was very strange. And Again, I can't emphasize this enough, and we have the same critique of, of Democrats who try to run as Republican light in various districts and lose to the Republican candidate. In the case of Ron DeSantis, you're not gonna out MAGA the founder of MAGA, right? So he did pick a lane, and it was a bad lane, because if you're gonna try to mimic Donald Trump, you're gonna fail. And so not only did Nikki Haley pick a lane, I think she picked a lane that really did differentiate herself from Donald Trump. But ultimately, I don't think that it's gonna bode well for Nikki Haley either. Yes, she's providing an alternative to the MAGA version of the Republican Party. But I do feel that the Republican voting base has kind of moved on from the traditional conservative Republican. Yeah, look, Anna, that's always what we've thought. Yeah. And so Trump is very likely to win. And when he does, though, we're gonna get clarity. So I don't wanna hear any nonsense from stupid ass pundits and stupid ass Democrats going around saying, "Oh no, the Republicans, they're gonna wake up one day. This is what Biden says all the time. And Pelosi says, they're gonna wake up one day and they're gonna go back to being super reasonable moderates. No, they're not, or maybe they are. It's now or never though. Because if they don't go in Nikki Haley's direction, it's over. They're MAGA populist to the end, right? And so, but having said all that, the only way to win was Nikki Haley's path. So the other path of trying to be Trump light is dumb. Mm-hmm. Anna, you nailed it. That's a perfect analogy is Democrats trying to be Republican light. It never works, never. So the only shot is Nikki Haley. 
And she'll probably lose because, yeah, the Republican Party is about 93% MAGA. Well, there's some other election related news to get to. This involves someone else who had already dropped out of the Republican primary. Without further ado, let's get to it. Senator, I wanna play something that you said when you launched your own presidential campaign in May. Sure. Victimhood or victory? <laughs> Grievance or greatness? Senator, you ran a very positive, very hopeful campaign. But victimhood and grievance that you were describing in your launch speech that we played some of right there, sounds like Donald Trump. Did you change your mind? Senator Tim Scott, who fairly recently decided to drop out of the GOP presidential primary, has now finally decided to endorse Donald Trump. In fact, he did so during a Trump rally in New Hampshire last Friday. Now, initially, Scott, who again dropped out in November, refused to back another candidate. Obviously, he has since changed his mind. Scott told Fox News's Trey Gowdy at the time that he would not back another Republican candidate saying he believed the best way for me to be helpful was to withhold an endorsement in the primary. Scott also said he had no intention of accepting a vice presidential nomination, reaffirming a position he had repeated frequently on the campaign trail. But obviously that has changed and as a Fellow South Carolinian Nikki Haley started to basically gain traction and experience a rise in the primary polling. He decided maybe I need to step in ahead of the New Hampshire primary, which which is gonna take place this week on Tuesday. Um, he even went as far as uh, basically forgetting the foundation of his campaign and how it was at odds with Donald Trump's. And instead he focused on the faults of Joe Biden during this cable news interview. So let's take a look at how that went down. We absolutely positively unequivocally need an America that's not filled with victims. I'm actually talking about how Joe Biden has destroyed our economy and made victims out of people waiting for the government to show up. You did say on Friday, Senator, is that when you endorse Donald Trump is that he will quote, restore law and order, which is some of what you're talking about here this morning. As president, yes. he did try to overturn a legitimate election. He called January 6th rioters hostages and promised to pardon them. He is charged with keeping classified documents and obstructing attempts to get them back. And on the campaign now, he's arguing that presidents should have total immunity, even if they quote, cross the line. How is that law and order? But what I can tell you is that when you look around the cities, when you grow up in poor communities like I did, and you watch the crime ravishing your communities, you ask yourself, what president has allowed that to happen? It's Joe Biden. When you have DAs around the country that says it's no longer a crime to steal $1,000 worth of goods, and those stores start closing in San Francisco and across the country, you ask yourself, yeah. what what president allowed that lawless behavior to continue? That's Joe Biden. Now, I really wish Dana Bash followed up with Scott's claims that you know we got to move away from victimhood by asking about Trump constantly putting himself in the position of a victim. Oh, this is unfair. It's a witch hunt. Yes, I broke the law, but they're coming after me because it's a witch hunt. But no, she moved on and allowed him to go on with this nonsense about Joe Biden allegedly being in favor of soft on crime policies, which listen, I have all sorts of issues with Joe Biden and his leadership, but I cannot latch that. I can't claim to criticize him with what Scott just criticized him with. Like Biden's actually been very much against the whole like defund the police, soft on crime stuff that's been going on in some of these democratic states and democratic cities. So you gotta find something a little better to attack him with. But anyway, Jink, curious what you thought about his statements there. Yeah, so I thought Dana Bash did a really good job here. And you know, you've seen us give her credit, you've seen her criticize 
us criticize her depending on the situation. But here, she kept asking great questions and he had no answers because there are no answers. So he's like, I'm against victimhood. There's no bigger crybaby victim in the country than Donald Trump. And if you're MAGA and you deny that, you don't even believe that. You know he's a crybaby. You just say anything about him, right? He uses <laughs> his I mean, look, he uses his rallies to air his grievances. Yeah, I mean, look. Like, that's all he does during his rallies these days. Yeah, <laughs> Festivus was made for Donald Trump, okay? All he does <laughs> is air grievances. So, the world's biggest victim wannabe. And then, in terms of law and order, he's got 91 counts against them. And even if you think, I mean, you can't possibly think they're all BS. I know a lot of MAGA guys do, right? Oh my God, my poor billionaire is being persecuted. I thought he was above the law, like all the other elites, but now they won't let him be above the law. Come on, come on. No one who's in favor of Donald Trump can say they're for law and order. You can't. You could pretend, you could say it. It doesn't mean anything. You're an obvious hypocrite, giant hypocrite. Oh, on January 6th, they should be allowed to break the law. They should be allowed to break into the building. They should be allowed to threaten to murder the officials. Oh, you should be allowed to do fake electors instead of real electors. You should be allowed to break campaign finances. We on a financial fraud. Of course, you should be allowed to do that. Why? Because uh, I like them and I don't like you, right? So, okay, whatever. But Tim Scott, look, I, I'm. On the one hand, is he a giant liar? Of course he is. On the other hand, literally every Republican politician is an enormous liar now. So my patience for them has run completely out, zero, none. So what's he gonna say? Is he gonna be honest? Be like, yeah, of course Trump's a bitch, right? Of course, he, all he does is cry. He's not gonna say that, he's gonna say he's a hero and it's all Joe Biden's fault. He's, by the way, he's not just doing it to remain in the good graces of the Trump supporters. He's doing it, in my opinion, because he's still angling for a VP spot. Like he claims that he's not looking to be VP. You should never believe oh, a politician who says that. They're yeah. always lying when they say that. And I just think that that's what this is really about. In fact, there's all sorts of like conversations happening, all sorts of rumors swirling about how Trump is eyeing Scott as his VP pick. And in fact, Trump was asked about that. I want to fast forward to the last video here. He was asked about it during a recent conversation on Fox News. So let's Take a look at what he had to say about the possibility of Scott being his VP pick. Is Senator Tim Scott on the list now? No, he's a great guy. You know, he endorsed me. There's an example. Nikki comes from South Carolina. Tim Scott is from South Carolina. But if you look, the governor, great governor, another senator, Lindsey, we happen to like Lindsey. But Henry McMaster knows her very well. He endorsed me. It's very hard for a governor to endorse somebody when you have, you know, I mean, Henry McMaster was the lieutenant governor under her and he endorsed me. Almost everybody in South Carolina has endorsed me. What does that tell you? So you ask about the vice presidential mm -hmm. and then we get into the, you know, the critique of one of the current rivals. I gotta say that was a masterful job taking a question about someone else and somehow turning it around so you only talk about yourself. <laughs> and that, that was like amazing. That's the other thing, right? <laughs> like it, me, as a basic as a Democrat, if I say something that is slightly self-aggrandizing, everybody will pulverize you. How dare you? This Trump guy, he goes around like I'm like God, basically. I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened, man. Nobody knows energy better than me. Nobody knows healthcare better than me. Nobody knows anything better than me. And everybody's like, bravo, bro. Not everybody is in this media, etc. I mean, the Republican voters are like, oh, what a great braggart. Right. What an unbearable person. I love him. But also, his message is. Oh yeah, I'm considering him because he endorsed me. Yeah, right? He's like he's complimentary toward me. So that's why Tim Scott is willing to go on CNN. And honestly, for anyone who has two brain cells to rub together, you notice he makes a fool out of himself in the way he answers those questions because he wants to remain in Trump's good graces because my theory is he's still angling for that VP pick. Oh, that's not a theory, that's a fact. Yeah. Come on. You're a United States senator and you don't want to be vice president. And then you ran knowing you had no chance to win. And all you've done ever since is kiss Donald Trump's. You waited to see who's asked you should kiss. Let's be honest about that. Oh, I'm not endorsing anyone in the primary. Oh, Trump's definitely gonna win. Oh, I'm endorsing Trump. Mm -hmm. 
come on, get that. Look, I have no patience for any of these politicians, man. They're, the media has been telling me my whole life they're honorable people and that we should have great respect for them. I have zero respect for them. I think these politicians are way, way worse than the average person. So when I look at a politician, I think like pathetic guy, right? And so if you're in this system, you're not an outsider, you're an insider. You had to be pathetic to get to that situation. So look, I wanna say one more thing about Trump. Trump has turned the entire Republican Party into liars. Why? Because he lies pathologically, everything, almost everything he says is a lie. And but they, he's forced every Republican to kiss his ass. And so now they all have to back his dumbass lies. So they were already liars anyway, they're politicians. Like, they're, oh yeah, no, I don't work for my donors, wink, right? But now it's just an extra layer. If Trump says that the moon is made of cheese, losers like Tim Scott have to go out and go, well, you know, it could be. It probably is made of cheese, but it's Joe Biden's fault. But remember, he's doing that for his political career, right? That's what's motivating all of the yes men surrounding Donald Trump. And also consider the fact that, you know, Trump has repeatedly said that should he get elected for a second term, he will use that term to retaliate against his political opponents. And in order to do that, he needs to fill his cabinet with yes men. So as a result, you have people in the Republican Party competing with one another in regard to who can be the biggest loyalist or lapdog to Donald Trump, which is an interesting phenomenon to experience, especially since we've already seen what happens to members of Trump's cabinet, to Trump's vice president. We saw what happened to him, to Mike Pence. And people are still willing to like fight to the death to be in that kind of position of power when they That's know that static. it's very likely not gonna bode well for them unless they're willing to do everything that Trump wants them to do. It's absolutely pathetic. I mean, I, the thing, the guy I can't understand most of all is Vivek Ramaswamy because Tim Scott's a, a you know natural born loser whose job is to kiss up to donors and politicians that are above him. And he's consigned himself to being a pathetic groveler and servant of the uh, powerful, right? But Ramaswamy has like a billion dollars. He doesn't have to. I know. Like humiliate himself on a daily basis. He, he could He's spend, choosing to. He could spend all day in the Almalfi Coast, okay? Yeah. Vacationing, eating pasta. But on no, a yacht. He could do whatever the hell he wants. Instead, he's chosen to lick different parts of Donald Trump's body to humiliate himself publicly every day. What a pathetic choice. So go ahead, politicians like Tim Scott, go grovel, 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 and then maybe the dictator wannabe will anoint you. And but he doesn't have a good. I tell you, one of our members just swung me. I thought there's no way that he's going to take. He's going to pick Carrie Lake or Christy Nome, etc., because he mainly judges based on looks. But Boomer Dragon Cat wrote in with two good points here. Tim Scott would be perfect for Trump VP. Central casting. That's true. But not enough Riz to upstage him. 100%. Okay. 100%. That is so, such a great point. So, yes. Boomer Trying Cat, first of all, $100 Blue Apron gift card. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, email at rewards at tyt.com and they'll confirm that you're a member. Uh, but uh, you just, you're right. You reminded me like Trump. Like Christy No might have too much Riz. And nice work on the using the word Riz, by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, but but Tim Scott's a perfect piece of lettuce. Like just ugh, inoffensive, just sitting there. Uh, and a schlep who'll do anything you tell him to do with no morals, no moral compass, etc. Final thing I'll say is uh, he proposed to his girlfriend and <laughs> now he is, he's engaged to be married. Sure, of course he is. I have some speculations uh, <laughs> about that, but I'm just, I'm gonna be a better person and not air those speculations. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna be <laughs> okay. the worst person. Okay, put that picture back up. So number one, this is total sham. In my opinion, we'll see what happens. And they're not gonna, if Trump doesn't pick him, they don't get married. That's my guess, okay? Okay, bold <laughs> prediction, let's make note of that. Okay, number two, he's just auditioning for Trump here. He's like, really that's what that's I'll do. That's not true. Like, I, no, no, no. I mean, getting on his hands and knees and going, oh, Jake. oh Donald, I'll do anything okay. for you. Right. This is me auditioning. I'm on my knees. I'll even pretend to be straight. Okay, okay I right. don't know. I don't all right, know. All right, I don't know. Right. But he's been we a knowledgeable bachelor for a long, long time. And a girlfriend mysteriously uh, popped up right as he decided that he was going to try to, you know, stage, uh, uh, you know, a run for VP here. 
right at the end of his presidential run. All of a sudden, a girlfriend popped up after 48 years or something, right? Huh, that's interesting how that works. Maybe he got lucky for the first time in his life. It's possible, he's a loser, so that's totally possible. Oh I'm giving you all the options. All right, we gotta take a break. When we come back, we're gonna switch gears a little bit, move off of election related news and talk about the Georgia election interference case. Because Fonnie Willis has made some moves that I just don't understand. And it could hurt the perspective that Americans have in regard to that case. That and more coming up, don't miss it. TYD, Jank, Anna, Brad, David, Brad just joined, becoming a bit of an American hero. Speaking of which, uh, let's give you a list of American heroes. Benjamin Morrill gifted a Young Turks membership. O Beach Babe 21 gifted 10, uh, which is amazing. And Jason Olea gifted five. You guys are awesome, way to look out for one another. Love you guys for it, Anna. Well, we've got some unfortunate updates on the election interference case out of Georgia. So let's give you the details. The law of disqualification in Georgia does not require either of them to step aside. It's not a disqualifying event for two prosecutors to have a relationship. Allegations of corruption and conflicts of interest are swirling around about Fonnie Willis and her prosecutorial team as the Georgia election interference case against Donald Trump and his co-conspirators heats up. Now there are rumors that Willis had an improper relationship with Nathan Wade, the chief prosecutor of the case, and that she accompanied him on two out of state trips. In fact, some of these trips included out of country, tropical vacation trips. So what exactly are the allegations and how would they impact the overall Georgia election case against Donald Trump. Well, Mike Roman, a Trump co-defendant, alleged in a court filing nearly two weeks ago that Willis and Chief Prosecutor Nathan Wade have been in an improper clandestine personal relationship and that Willis may have broken the law by hiring Wade as a special prosecutor and then allowing him to pay for vacations across the world with her unrelated to the work on the case. Now, Roman unsurprisingly called for the prosecutors to be disqualified and for the charges against him to be dropped. That is unlikely going to happen. I mean, the, the charges being dropped, but there will be a hearing to decide what the fate of Fonnie Willis will be as a result of some of this information that's been coming out. Lawyers for Wade's estranged wife filed a motion in their divorce case that included credit card statements that appeared to show. Wade had purchased airline tickets for himself and Willis to Aruba and San Francisco. It's unknown whether Willis paid him back. And Willis alleged in a motion to basically squash a subpoena seeking to dispose, uh, uh, depose her um, in Wade's you know, divorce case that Wade's estranged wife, her name is uh, Jocelyn Mayfield Wade, was colluding with those who are seeking to basically disrupt this case against Donald Trump and the co-conspirators. On Friday, Georgia GOP Chairman Josh McCoon circulated a 2020 video of Willis saying that she would fire any employee who sleeps with a coworker and promising not to date people that work under me. And there are other issues too, including Wade's lack of prosecutorial experience in the type of case that he's the lead prosecutor of, you know, namely the Georgia election interference case. And then there's also some issues in regard to how much Wade has basically billed for his services compared to other prosecutors in that case. And here are some more details on that. Now, Mr. Wade, as you said, his primary area of practice was personal injury law. Not, in my view, qualified to handle a major complicated racketeering case. Nonetheless, he's been hired along with two other lawyers from the outside to come in and help the DA. Nothing wrong with that. But if you look at the amount of money they've been paid and they've billed, Mr. Wade has billed $650,000 plus. The others have billed $70,000 and $90,000. So there's a question of, is he working nine times as much as the other Folks, the other big problem though is there's clearly a relationship of some nature, we don't know exactly, between the DA and Mr. Wade. And some of that money is being used on travel that the DA is accompanying 
him on. So some of the money that the DA's office is paying out to Mr. Wade is now being used for personal purposes for the DA. So there's a real potential conflict of interest there. Really important to keep in mind, we have a hearing in that case set for February 15th. So we'll get more information then, but at a minimum, it looks terrible and it raises legitimate questions about the DA. So in summary, the argument, Jenk, is that she is having an improper relationship with Nathan Wade. She then hires him to be the lead prosecutor on this case. He proceeds to bill $650,000 as he works on this case, which is far more than the other prosecutors working on it. And then the allegation is that some of that money was then used to go on trips with Fonnie Willis. That is what they're alleging. Obviously, more information needs to come out and an investigation needs to happen. But what are your thoughts on all of this, especially if they end up being true? Yeah, so first of all, improper relationship in the office. Look, that's not my business. It's a uh, normally a local issue, a small issue, etc. It depends on a million different pieces of context. But in this case, uh, there is something that I am concerned about, which is, okay, it's one thing if you have a relationship with someone at the office. It's another thing if you're having a relationship with someone outside the office and then you hire them mm-hmm. and you send $695,000 of state taxpayer money to them, then we've got a significant issue, okay? Really significant issue. Now, having said that, this is really important, guys, because the lack of logic drives me nuts. So they're like, oh, Fonnie Willis might be doing something inappropriate. That's why Trump is innocent. Yeah. What? <laughs> no, it doesn't have anything to do with Trump's case. Whether Trump is innocent or guilty has nothing to do with whether she's using taxpayer money to take vacations to Aruba, right? That's a different problem. And if you say, hey, we should look into that. And hold her accountable. I totally agree. Hey, by the way, Maggie, you see how that's how it works if you're not a hypocrite. You say, oh, she's on my side, but I want to hold her accountable. He's not on my side. I want to hold him accountable. That's called being consistent. You might want to look into it. But Jake, like the thing that I'm even more bothered by, okay, what you just mentioned is something we should be concerned with 100%. But the thing that I'm most bothered by is that it appears that she hired him as the lead prosecutor. Knowing that he has expertise as a personal injury attorney, but doesn't have expertise in prosecuting the type of case that they're trying Donald Trump on. Yeah, look, and that's guys, like so unbelievably irresponsible. So I, I wasn't trying to judge that too much because you, sometimes you never know the details. Maybe he had some background. Or not. But now that the, all the details have come out, no, you don't hire a personal injury lawyer to prosecute the former president of the United States on one of the most important cases in the country. And it's it's an historic case, a personal injury lawyer. Look guys, I'm not dissing personal injury lawyers. It just, it's that doesn't make any sense. Law, yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. So it's like hiring a sports agent or something. What, you know, he's technically he's a lawyer. Yeah, technically, but why are you hiring him instead of a prosecutor with expertise on in this? So no, it doesn't make any sense. And so, remember, the, the Georgia yeah. case is incredibly important because should Donald Trump get elected, which there's a good chance that he will get elected, he would be able to pardon himself in the federal cases, but he would not be able to do so when it comes to a state case, meaning the Georgia election interference case. No, I'm now, the more we talk about it, Anna, the more angry I get at her. Like, what are you doing endangering potentially the most important case in the country because of a personal relationship. Are you nuts? And did you not think that it was gonna get revealed? Look, she hasn't said anything about it. She hasn't even denied it yet. That means she definitely did it. This Let's is, keep yes. it real. And these rumors started okay. swirling weeks ago and she has not denied it. She hasn't even directly addressed it. She indirectly addressed it. And I wanted to give you some information about that because those close to her, her allies are Pretty irritated with the way she's handled this. Several Willis allies have said privately they were disappointed with her remarks last weekend at a historically black church in Atlanta, in which she described herself as flawed and imperfect, but did not directly address the allegations. She defended her decision to hire Wade, calling him a superstar with impeccable credentials. Some have also criticized Willis's claim during that speech that race is the motivating factor behind the attacks against her or the allegations against her. So they were disappointed with that response as well. But again, like, it does, sure, it brings up some ethical concerns, especially when it comes to the amount of money that was billed. But 
I just want to reiterate that the most concerning part is that you have someone who's not experienced in RICO cases trying Donald Trump in one of the most historic and important election interference cases, certainly in American history. And so this does serve, and the other concern, Jenk, is that this is going to serve as a distraction, right? Of course conservative, it is. Conservative media is covering this wall to wall coverage. And so a longtime ally of Fonnie Willis says that, you know, maybe. There needs to be some recusals here. So let's take a look at what he has to say about this. The challenge with Mr. Wade remaining on this case is that it's become a distraction from what is one of the most serious alleged conspiracies in American history. Poppy, we all heard that January 2nd, 2021 tape when Donald Trump said to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, just find 11,780 votes that didn't exist. That's where the focus needs to be. We need to get the case on track, moving quickly. A trial it has been requested for 2024 and not discussing yeah. this relationship. Not mandatory, but he should do well, the right thing. So he's calling for Wade to step down from the case. Notably, he did not call for the same thing for Fonnie Willis. But I do think that's the right thing to do. I mean, in the very least, I think Wade should step down from the yeah, case. Yeah, I don't know that she can even step down from because I, I right. have to look into that because she has an elected position. But for him, it's a no brainer. Look, there's two things that are no brainers. One is, Wade should recuse himself instantly. What are you doing? What are you mucking up the case for? Yeah, I know it's irrational to say, hey, we got an issue of potentially corruption here. But is it, it doesn't have anything to do with, by the way, not only does it not have anything to do with Trump's case, it also doesn't have anything to do with any other case. Like if Fonnie Willis was using him on a murder case, should we just let the guy go, even though he's a murderer? Because they were having an affair, it doesn't make any sense, right? But is it confusing people and endangering the case regardless? Yes. Should he recuse himself? Of course. And second of all, when you use charges of racism when they don't apply, mm -hmm. it, you do great damage to the cause of fighting real racism and you're incredibly selfish about it. So I have no sympathy for you, okay? So going out there like, oh yeah, just because I'm sleeping with this guy and funnel $700,000 of taxpayer money to him. Oh, now it's because I'm black. Get out of here, man. That's nonsense, total nonsense. So we've been trying to fight racism here for all these years. And anytime these selfish people come by that are almost always powerful people, mm -hmm. when they're called out on their wrongdoing, oh, what can I hide behind? No, I have no tolerance for it. When we come back from the break, we'll switch gears, talk a little bit about international news and give you updates on the war on Gaza. Don't miss it. All right, back on TYT, Jenkin Anna with you guys. One of our YouTube members wrote in, you know, I was kidding around during the social break about giving a $100 Blue Apron gift card to someone who complimented me. CL Alvarado wrote in, Anna is a beautiful flower in a garden by a peaceful afternoon. $100, no, I'm just kidding. I think that this is a loyal viewer of the show. I knew you were gonna say Who that. always tunes in when we're doing the show live and deserves credit for that. Yeah, no, okay. I'm just giving the gift cards as usual for good observations and funny I thought comments. that was a fantastic observation, <laughs> okay? All anyway, all right, let's, let's move on. Well, we have more denialism within the United States and the State Department in regard to the real intentions of Israel's far right government. So I feel no pleasure in sharing this story with you, but I have to. On Friday, the president did make his view clear about a two state solution, but he also suggested that Netanyahu was open to that view. So did Netanyahu express to the president that? Or why did the president? I, I, I uh, they had a they had a very constructive conversation, uh, and I think I just need to leave it at that. In just the past week, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has repeated over and over and over again that he intends to prevent a two-state solution between Israel and Palestine. But John Kirby and Joe Biden think we're all morons. 
because they claim that a two-state solution is still possible, even with Benjamin Netanyahu continuing to serve as the prime minister of Israel. So on Friday, Biden spoke with Netanyahu for the first time in many, many weeks about possible resolutions to the ongoing conflict. Yet again, Bibi rejected the prospect of a separate Palestinian state. Nonetheless, Biden told reporters several hours after the call the following. There are a number of types of two state solutions. Are there? Yeah, are there? What does that even mean? There's a number of countries that are members of the UN that don't have their own militaries, number of states that have limitations. And so I think there's ways in which this could work. It's not, okay, so let me just make this clear. It's not a two state solution if Israel has power over the Palestinian state. Meaning they get to call the shots in regard to whether the Palestinians have a military to protect themselves. Whether Israel has control over what goes in and what goes out of the territory. Like it's just a ridiculous notion. No, no guys, it's worse than that because Biden just threw away the two state solution. He did. That, that comment is saying we're not doing a two state solution. Netanyahu didn't listen to me, I listened to him. I'm not the boss of him, he's the boss of me. Because the two state solution is two independent sovereign states. If you say a state without a military, that's the half withdrawal that they did in Gaza. Yep. Where they're still super frustrated, Israel's still in charge. And they go, well, technically we withdrew, but if you do anything wrong, we're gonna cut your water, power, electricity, or anything that we think you did wrong. And we're gonna bomb the living crap out of you and kill all of you. Uh, but hey, hey, we withdrew, we withdrew. So, so if you're gonna do that, that's gonna make it worse, not better. And here's the President of the United States saying, okay, I'm gonna give Netanyahu everything he wants. It's disgusting. So I, I, this is a side note, but I, I've been dying to make this point because I think it's important. The argument against a ceasefire that we keep hearing from Israel over and over again is, well, the second we do a ceasefire, then we're gonna be victims of Hamas. Hamas is going to, it's gonna threaten our security. Hamas is gonna come attack us again. Okay, is Benjamin Netanyahu unable to use all the weapons to lean on the Iron Dome, which we fund year after year to protect the people who are currently living in Israel? Is he unable to secure the border with Gaza? Okay, because it's just such a, if that's the case, if all those weapons and the Iron Dome is doing nothing to help protect Israeli civilians, why are we paying for it? Yeah, guys. And, and, and I'm saying that because Hamas and the God, like people in the Gaza Strip don't have a military, okay? Yes, Hamas was able to carry out those atrocities and those terror attacks, but they don't have a, a navy, they don't have an army, they don't have, you know, they don't have like the war, um, the military capabilities that Israel does. And so they keep talking about this as if this is a symmetrical war, when in reality it's an asymmetrical war. And yeah. the reason why the IDF didn't respond to what Hamas was doing is because they were too busy protecting illegal uh, Israeli settlements in the West Bank. It took them six hours to respond to what Hamas was doing. That's on Netanyahu, okay? The real threat to the safety of Israelis is Benjamin Netanyahu. But anyway, they can't yeah. have a ceasefire, it would be so dangerous. Okay. Yeah, so look guys, a couple of things here. Number one, this whole idea of um, uh, that Israel is being oppressed by the Hamas and the Palestinians, that that they is, they, it's a mirage. Like, so I'm not saying that Hamas didn't attack Israel and cause damage, they definitely did and we condemn them for it. But the idea that they're somehow stronger than Israel, that the Palestinians are endangering Israel's existence, instead of Israel literally blocking the existence of their state, is topsy-turvy. It's just a total Orwellian talking point, as if the Palestinians control the Israelis rather than the other way around. That's the way it keeps getting framed. Yeah, and so I want you to understand, anyone who tells you that is purposely lying to you to try to trick you. No, it's Israel that has been occupying the Palestinians for 75 years. And then this idea of, well, I mean, they can't govern themselves if we let them. They wanna kill all the Israelis and so these monsters cannot be allowed to ever govern themselves. Well, couldn't every empire use that against every minority? So the Turks say, well, the Armenians, if we let them, they'd kill all the Turks. Well, at the time where the Turks were oppressing them, they might have, maybe the Armenian rebels might have wanted to kill all the Turks. That doesn't mean you can't give them a state. It doesn't mean that you can't free them. That then if you, cuz if you go by that logic, no one will ever be free. 
Oh, well, you don't love your oppressor enough. We've been occupying you and putting our boot on your neck. Well, you don't love us. You don't love us enough. That's it. We're gonna put more boot on your neck and we're gonna kill your family members. Why don't you love us enough? No, it's your fault for not loving us. So we're gonna keep oppressing you. Nonsense, nonsense. Lastly, if you say the Palestinians are the only people in the world who can't govern themselves, you are deeply racist, period, period. Don't tell me nonsense excuses about, oh, they can't be trusted. They, well, that's, yeah, you're saying they're, I'm a racist, I hate Palestinians, I, and I think that they can't, they're subhuman and cannot govern themselves like every other ethnicity in the world. Every other ethnicity in the world can govern themselves except Palestinians. No, that's a deeply, deeply racist ideology. So let's get back to Biden. Um, asked what Netanyahu was open to, Biden said, I'll let you know. But he rejected the notion that a so-called two-state solution is impossible as long as Netanyahu is in power. No, it's not. And he brushed off the idea of imposing conditions on American security aid to Israel if the prime minister continues to resist. Now, hold on, Cenk, hold on. Go to the last graphic here because I just wanna remind you of what Biden said in a closed door fundraiser just this past December. At a fundraiser event in December, President Biden singled out Israel's prime minister for national security, Itamar Ben-Gavir, by name, saying in a speech that he and the new folks don't want anything remotely approaching a two-state solution, adding that they want retribution not only against Hamas, but against all Palestinians. Biden said that during the fundraiser. So why is he lying to the American people right now? That's what I want to know. Why is he willing to tell the truth to his donors in a closed door fundraiser? But when it comes to speaking to the American people, he lies to us and tells us, no, 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 two state solution is totally possible. In fact, it's totally possible with Netanyahu in office. Come on. Once he brushed off the idea of imposing conditions on Israel, that is a unilateral surrender to Netanyahu. That is the President of the United States saying, I'm not allowed to question him. He can say anything he wants, and I know, because I said it behind closed doors, that they don't want a two-state solution, and Netanyahu says it all the time. He talks to me, then he goes on a national stage or an international stage and goes, I'm not gonna listen to America, they're gonna listen to me. And we're not gonna have a two-state solution. And Biden comes and goes, I won't impose any conditions. I swear to you, I beg you, Netanyahu, I beg you. You loser, you're pathetic, I'm just totally pathetic. I'm sick of the gaslighting and I'm sick of the lies. We're not morons. We see what's happening on the ground in Gaza. We see the high civilian death toll. We see all those children suffering or just dying. And then at the same time, you have Biden speaking from both sides of his mouth, telling his donors one thing, and then lying to the American people, saying something entirely different. And by the way, how did Benjamin Netanyahu respond to Biden's claims that a two-state solution is still possible, even with Benjamin Netanyahu as the leader of Israel? Here's what Netanyahu said. I will not compromise on full Israeli security control over the entire area west of the River Jordan. And this is irreconcilable with a Palestinian state, aka from the river to the sea, Israel will control the land. Pretty clear, yesterday he even doubled down and actually bragged about his role in preventing a two state solution saying, my insistence is what has prevented over the years the establishment of a Palestinian state that would have constituted an existential danger to Israel. Not noting that he's the real danger to Israel, of course. As long as I am prime minister, I will continue to strongly insist on this. And the Likud party's original platform stated that between the sea and the Jordan, there will be only one Israeli sovereignty. But when John Kirby was asked about Netanyahu saying all of this, saying that Israel will control all of the land west of the Jordan River, he basically did everything he could to avoid answering the question. Take a look. Did the president address Netanyahu's use of the phrase from the river to the sea? 
in their conversation today. I know the White House has previously said that phrase is divisive. So. Uh, I'm not aware that that specific phrase was discussed. Do you condemn him using that phrase? Uh, look, there's a there's a connotation with that uh, f phrase. We've talked about this before, um, but when you know, when you use the phrase "river to the sea," it it speaks basically to the mantra of Hamas and in their manifesto, where they basically describe the geographic bounds of what they believe to be Palestine. And if you look at it on the map, if you go look at the, the four corners that they describe it, it's basically the state of Israel. They just don't believe it should exist. So uh, again, it's it's not a phrase that um, uh, that we recommend uh, uh, using, given because of that context. But this wasn't Hamas. This was. Netanyahu. I understand. I, I don't have anything more on that, and I certainly don't have anything more on the conversation to read out with respect to that. I love that the reporter had to clarify. We're not we're not talking about Hamas. We're talking about Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, and Kirby followed that up with, "This isn't about." trying to twist somebody's arm or force a change in their thinking, meaning Israel's thinking. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has made clear his concerns about that. President Biden has made clear his strong conviction that a two-state solution is still the right path ahead, and we're going to continue to make that case. No, you're not. <laughs> Biden just said that he's willing to do a nonsense, non-two-state solution where Israel controls Palestinian military, security, and everything else. That's still an occupation. Yeah. So you're not in favor of the two-state solution. Okay. By the way, I know people in power in this country don't care about hypocrisy at all. They love hypocrisy. So are we rehiring the deans of Harvard and Penn because they got fired for not strongly enough condemning from the river to the sea? Here's John Kirby. Is he going to get fired? No, no. But no, is he going to get fired? No, no, Jake. But you, you're. You're mixing things up. It's okay when one side says it. Oh, it's the Palestinian side that's not allowed. And by the way, the Palestinian side isn't doing it. Netanyahu is is actually committing the genocide from the river to the sea. He's in the middle of committing that genocide, and then he brags about it. John Kirby didn't denounce him at all. Nope. I heard that if you say from the river to the sea and somebody doesn't denounce you strongly enough, they should be fired. I know. For so, can anyone in power, in media or in politics, admit we're never going to be honest or fair ever? If Israel does something, it's perfectly okay. We don't care what it is. We don't care what kind of war crimes, ethnic cleansing, occupation, etc. It's perfectly okay. Palestinians, you dare oppose your own occupation? That's it, you monster, savage terrorists. Yeah, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the lies. All right, now. Uh, Netanyahu just told you he's not a partner for peace. He said it very clearly, never never was favored the Palestinian state, never gonna be in favor of the Palestinian state. And as long as I'm in charge, I'm gonna block it. He, you just saw him say it, you saw the quotes for yourself. Not a partner for peace. I understand that's why we're not allowed to talk to Palestinians about peace. Oh, Hamas is not a partner, Palestinian Authority is not a partner. Nobody's a partner for peace, it's their fault, it's their fault. Okay, now it's Netanyahu's fault, there's no question about it, right? No, another excuse. Oh No, it's okay if Israel doesn't want peace. It's only it's always the Palestinians fault. It's their fault for being occupied. It's their fault for getting killed, 25,000 of them now. And then look guys, whether you like it or not, it's not just about the Palestinians, it's about Israel. As long as the occupation exists, it'll never have peace. Nope. And you can say, oh, Jane, don't say that. It doesn't matter if I say it or not. It's just demonstrably true, it's demonstrably it's true. Do you think? That any people, any people, it does, people from Ecuador, people from Nigeria, people from Palestine, any people are going to say, "Oh yeah, you can permanently occupy us. We surrender to you. We'll now be your dogs. We'll just do. You can do whatever you want to us. We just give up. We give up completely. Total utter surrender. We are now servants of the Israelis. Do you think they're going to say that, or do you think they're going to fight back?" You'd have to be the dumbest person in the world to not think they're gonna fight back. You might say, hey, it's wrong. I don't want them to fight back. I don't want them to kill civilians. I say that. I say that I don't want them to kill civilians. But it doesn't matter because they're going to fight back. So the only way to get to peace is through peace. You did it, Israel did a deal with Egypt, peace deal, and it worked. Peace deals work. Peace deals bring you peace. War brings you war. So Israel's got a choice to make. America doesn't have a choice. 
because our, our leaders will never, ever be fair or honest, ever. They will do whatever any Israeli prime minister says. It doesn't matter if he's left wing or right wing. And if you're denying that, it doesn't really, that doesn't matter either, guys. The whole world knows that Israel is in charge. <laughs> no, you could say, no, no, no. Every American president tells every Israeli leader that they can have money unconditionally, no matter how much they don't listen to us. But we're gonna trick everyone into thinking, no, Israel's not in charge. <laughs> you can try, but it's not gonna work. It's never gonna give you peace. The only thing that can give you peace is end the occupation. If you don't want that, then okay, you want permanent war. And the next time you're attacked, don't be like, oh my God, I'm so surprised. Oh my God, I can't believe that they didn't accept our occupation. Don't they know we're superior to them and we get to occupy them permanently? I can't believe they attacked. Now we have a right to defend ourselves. They have no rights, no right to defend themselves. And they can't govern those losers, savage terrorists. Well, what, 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 it's not racist. No, deeply racist. The occupation is a moral evil. It is the core of the problem. If you don't end the occupation, you will have war forever and ever. And America will pay for it, and America will lie on behalf of Israel. And that's what's happened every single time. And now our president has surrendered to Netanyahu. He's loathed even in Israel. Even in Israel, he's still loathed. But no one loves Netanyahu more than Joe Biden. Now he's killed a two-state solution. Thanks a lot, Joe Biden, you loser, you pathetically weak creature. All right, we gotta take a break, more when we come back.